Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you guys for coming out. Thanks for being a part of church services this morning at Harbor. If this is your first time, your first time in a long time, my name's Josh. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, man, I'm so thankful that you decided, hey, I'm going to give up a little bit of my time just to go and hear what it is that God might have for me. And so I don't take that lightly. And uh, I appreciate you coming out. I appreciate you being here. I, I pray that if you open up your heart and your mind and you just allow God a little bit more access today, he might just poke you in an area that could really change the rest of this year for you. We're going to do something new today. We're kicking off a series this weekend um, on James, on the book of James. Now, I've preached out of books before. I just did, uh, last year, I did a series in Nehemiah, but I didn't do the whole book of Nehemiah. I just did parts of the story of them building the wall. I mean, there's a lot of chapters there. Um, And just uh, not not too long ago, I, I camped out in Ephesians 6, and there's four verses there that describe... Uh, the armor of God, and we spent almost two months talking about the armor of God. And so we've done like in-depth studies and we've done books, but I've never just taken a book and walked through it. And we're going to try that for the next five weeks. We're going to try to take one chapter of James a a weekend and kind of just see what it is that God has for us. You need to understand, we cannot cover everything in just one chapter in one short time together. I mean, in the 30 or 40 minutes I get to preach to you, I can't unpack everything that James wrote, but I do hope that we can learn from it. Now, this book of James, if you've never studied it before, it's it's kind of considered the the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a book of wisdom. And like every verse is just like James being like, here we go, bam, how do you like them apples? And you're just going, okay, more. And he just... He said, now, if you don't know the author, James, most scholars and, and experts believe that this is James, not the disciple James, but James, the half-brother of Jesus that wrote this. He becomes a leader in the church in Jerusalem, but he was not a follower of Christ while Jesus was alive doing his ministries. Um, James, his half-brother, is actually said to be along with some of Jesus' other siblings, half-siblings, where they, they kind of rejected him. They pushed him away. But after Jesus dies and is resurrected, James becomes a believer and a follower, and he ends up becoming pretty prominent in the church in Jerusalem. He's a huge part of the Council of Jerusalem in 49 AD. Most people believe that the book of James was written around 45 AD. Why that's significant is it's very likely that the book of James is the first book written in the New Testament. Now, it's not chronologically you have, I mean, like you have like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talking about the birth of Jesus and whatnot, but they wrote those after, most likely after James wrote this. James writes this book to a baby church. This group of people have decided they're going to forsake traditional Judaism and they're going to accept that Jesus was the Messiah and they're choosing to follow after him, to follow the, the way, the truth, and the life. And so this group of believers, this new group of Christians, if you will, they're, they're, they're the early church. And James, James is like, y'all messing this up. You guys, are, you guys are already getting some things wrong. So I'm going to have to, I want to write you this letter. And so he writes the book of James, and I'm hoping we can learn from it as we dig into it. 
in the very first verse, he, he starts to unpack some truth. And what he's doing is he's trying to grow them. The, I, I read one commentary said, the goal of James was to get the people of God to look and act like the people of God. He's talking to this, this group of people who are claiming that they've sold out for Jesus, but they're not acting like they've sold out for Jesus. And so he's trying to help them grow. One of the things that I, I, re, I just kind of resonated with as a pastor of a church, your heart breaks for the people of the church that are, that are, that are trying to grow in their faith and they just don't know what to do. And so I see this New Testament book of wisdom, this, this book of James as this beautiful letter of encouragement to baby believers, new Christians, and church members who are kind of being pulled by a lot of what the world says. That's one of the reasons why we talked about connect groups, why Mike got up here and, and promoted you guys going to a connect group. We're doing a brand new one this year, myself and John Rockness and John Petty. We're teaching one called Spiritual Growth 101. We've never done that before. This is completely new material. And I'd be honest with you, 90% of our church should be in that class. It is so important to get your foundation right and what you believe and why you believe it and where you should grow from there. And if you're like, well, pastor, I already signed up for the ladies group or the men's group or the marriage group or the young adult. That's cool. We put them all on different nights so you can do more than one. Here's what James teaches his church or the early church. This is what he says in his letter. And we're starting verse number one because that's where the book starts. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Typical intro, right? Except for how does he introduce himself? If I was Jesus' half-brother, I would probably lead with that. What's up, guys? My name's Jimmy. You can call me James. Jesus was my big bro. Let's get on this. He doesn't start that way. Other versions say... This is James, the bondservant, James, the slave, the servant of God. He starts by giving us an, a clue of what the whole book is about, which is servanthood. What does it look like to truly say you belong to Jesus Christ? He starts the book by saying, even me, even a brother of Jesus, even a leader of the church, even somebody who is, who is at this point has, has had more experience and, and, and would be considered a little bit more elevated, I am a slave of God. Now, we don't like that term. It, just, it seems all very negative, but you need to understand they were very familiar with servanthood. The Jewish people had been under Roman captivity for centuries. This is nothing new. And what James is saying is that we all are going to serve some master. We are all slaves to something. We can choose to make ourselves a slave to God or in, the, in what most of us do in trying to serve ourselves and please ourselves and go after what we want, we end up serving sin and self. You're going to be a slave to something. James just says, hey, I'm choosing to make sure that I identify with my servanthood with Jesus Christ. So I started with this. This question from verse one is, is on servanthood, and it's simply this. Who does your life belong to? He's asking it just at, from the, before he ever even starts unpacking. He says, hey, who is it that you are looking out for? Because most of us, we just look out for ourselves, right? I got my plans, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to make my money, how I'm going to get somebody to love me. 
how I'll get my respect, my toys, my retirement, my kids, whatever you fill in the blank, whatever it is you want. It's usually we're all we're very self-centered. One person's willing to admit it with me. Okay, me and one person in this room are selfish. The rest of y'all are perfect. Um, but if you do struggle with it, it's it's a question that he starts with. I, I like it, it's very it's 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 very it's very obvious how we work, right? Like I, I go out to one of my kids school events where they have all the kids running, you know, out outside and they're like, bring the parents and cheer on your kids. And they do these races outside. And man, my son's out there running. He loves running. I'm like, yeah, boy, go. And he's like, man, he's like lightning. And I'm like, that's my boy. Go, kid, go. That's my boy. And five minutes later, I see him over there licking the bottom of a shoe. And I'm like, that is, that's Kaylee's son. I don't, he gets that from his mother. I have no clue, right? But see, this is how you and I work. When our lives are great, I'm the master. When my life is good, it's because I'm smart and I'm accomplished and I'm talented and I've got the plan and I'm, I'm good. When my life sucks, God, why are you forsaking me? God, why aren't you bailing me out? God, why don't you love me? God, why did you make this bad thing happen? Oh, see, yeah, see, this is the truth that we don't want to talk about. When, when, when it's good, it's me. When it's bad, it's God's fault. We got we to gotta admit that we can belong to one or the other, and we're trying to play both sides. This is what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 20, verse number, uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse number 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm either, I'm either dying to my old self, and it's no longer about Josh anymore, it's about Josh, the servant of Jesus, what does Jesus want? Or it's going to be about what Josh wants. That's just the first verse. You guys ready to go on? Move on to? All right, two. Verse two. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, I love the, the, these two verses, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. If life sucks, you should find a way to be excited about it. What? For know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. He says, listen, most of you will spend the time, every time something bad happens, every time something negative happens, you will go to, woe is me, I'm a victim, everything sucks for me, woe is me, why does my life have to be so tough? He goes, stop doing that. Stop looking at everything that's bad as, all, as, as reason for, for complaining, as reasons for going, it's just not fair, God doesn't love me. He's saying, when you go through hard times, this is the fertile ground that you actually grow in. See, some of y'all aren't understanding what I'm preaching here. What James is trying to remind us of is that our biggest seasons of growth aren't when everything is easy. Look back on your life. When things were easy, that's usually when you got the cockiest or the laziest. But when things were tough, when you really had to dig deep, when you were scared, remember being scared? when you were worried, when you were confused, those are times when you stepped out of yourself and you're no longer proud, you're no longer cocky. You actually found the humility to say, God, I need you, I need to grow. There's times in your life where you look back on some of the rough years, those were rough, but man, you, you grew a thicker skin. You toughened up a little bit. You got a little bit smarter. You figured out, you figured out hey man, maybe I shouldn't keep doing these things. Okay, some of you haven't learned that lesson yet, apparently. You're like, no, I like it. I like it. It's, come see me in five years, okay? There, there is this growth that happens when we, allow, when we allow God to take us through these, these valleys, these tough times, 
See, what we do when we're in the valley, we complain. Oh, I just, I just wish it was better. Listen, nobody loves mountaintops more than me. I get it. I want to get to that mountaintop. <laughs> Praise God. Get to the mountain. You ever climbed a mountain? Have you ever climbed a mountain? That may not look like it, but I have climbed some mountains in my past, in my, in my past, <laughs> long, long, long time ago. Here's the thing. When you get to the top of a mountain, it's a beautiful view. Sunshine's great. There's not a lot of stuff that grows on the top of mountains. It's just true. You know where most of the growth is? It's in the valleys. I put it this way. There's more fruit in the valleys than in the mountaintops. I'm not saying you shouldn't be looking for a mountaintop. The mountaintop, man, God, things are good. But here's the truth. When I get to the mountaintop, I look back and I have a lot more growth from my valley times. And that's just true in nature. There's just more stuff grows there. And he's saying, stop being bitter. Stop being mad. Stop being whiny when you're going through a tough time. He moves on. Let's look at verse number five. If you need wisdom, ask. Ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. God will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty. Watch this. A person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people, those kind of people, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. I think this is the theme, if, you had, if I had to narrow it down for chapter one, what's the theme of James's uh, writing for the first chapter? It would be this, it'd be authentic stability. He's trying to give the early church and, and early Christians the, the foundational stability that comes from giving your life to God. And just like I said at the beginning, he says, I'm a servant, I'm a slave of God. I'm no longer looking out for me. He, he echoes it again here. He goes, you can't have one foot in the serve me camp and one foot in the what do you want God camp because as soon as times get tough, we know we're going to lean. Just me? Okay. If, I'm, if I like what Josh wants, but then I tell everybody I also like what God wants, I'm divided and I'm unstable. I'm unstable. Revelations. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 says, I, I know all the things you do. This is God talking to the church, by the way. He says, I know all the things you do that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. <laughs> but since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God says, listen, at least the people who are cold know they're cold. I don't know how you guys here like to go to Dunkin' Donuts. I feel like that might be an easy illustration for some of you to jump on board this message. Some of you have been staring at me so far this morning, so I'm going to take it to a Dunkin' Donuts application, okay? Like, oh, I got it. I got it now. See, here's, here's the thing. When you go through Dunkin' Donuts, if you are an iced coffee drinker, how many in here are iced coffee drinkers? Come on. You like your iced coffee. All right, how many of you are like, I like the hot coffee. That's my, that's my jam or tea or whatever. I know Pastor Ron's in here. He likes tea instead of coffee because he's weird. All right, so whether it's hot or cold, and you could have iced tea, iced, or hot tea, iced coffee, hot, you don't, nobody goes up to the drive-thru and says, hey, can I get that room temp? Could you just, could you give me a cup that you've let sit down on the, on the, on the counter for about five or six hours? That sounds delicious. If you want cold and you're expecting cold and it's room temp, you're like, and if you want hot because you're cold and you want something to warm you up and you're expecting a hot cup and it's, it's lukewarm, you're like, ugh. 
Just me? I can't, I can't not be. I know I'm not the only one. God literally says, I hate that. Like, so, okay, fine. You guys don't, that's fine. Here's his point. He's like, listen, I, I, he's like, if, if you're at least cold, we know that you, we know where you, you've set. Like you said, hey, I'm, I'm here. And, and, and I, maybe, I, maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't even know if I believe in God. I think that's more an honest place to start saying, I'm not sure what I'm doing with God than the people that are in the room going, oh, I love me some God on Sunday morning. I just act like a pagan Monday through Saturday. See, that's harder to work there because you're pretending to be this, but you're living like this and you're lukewarm and it's like, okay, you, you, I can't speak to you because you fooled yourself. Indecision brings instability. If you will not decide, there isn't much room for you to go forward because you, you're playing both sides and whichever side is more comfortable, whichever side, whichever side offers you the most, that's the way you're gonna lean and unfortunately, that's going to hamper your growth going the other way. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and you will love the other. You will be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. And if you think that this is a thing against money, he's using money here to illustrate what was most commonly a love for the world. You can't love God and love the world and expect to grow because you're torn in two ways. You're unstable. You're gonna be like a boat tossed around in the waves. I got, I, I like listening to sports radio and there's a channel here on, on the Cape that I like, but different parts of the Cape, it doesn't come in very well. It's a Boston sports channel. And depending where I'm driving on the Cape, it picks up a Cape station and they both start talking at the same time. And this guy's last night scored and then somebody's singing. I'm like, oh, and it's just this mesh of like noise. And I'm like trying to pick out, I'm like, ah. I'm trying to hear the score and somebody's singing and it's just static and it's coming over and I'm like, ah, and if you have sensory overload like I do, you're like, okay. Some of you, some of you are not growing in your walk with God and you're not hearing from God and you're complaining, I don't hear God. Yes, because you're tuned into two different channels. You're listening to everything that the world says, all these self-help books you got, your dumb friend from work who's got an opinion on everything, even though their life is incredibly messed up. You've got all this input, and then you try to sprinkle in some Bible, and you're wondering why you're hearing these mixed signals. Can't serve two masters. An unstable person comes from their inability to decide on what they're doing. Let's move on. Chapter, verse 12 of chapter 1. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they'll receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love them. This is a, a promise for people who are enduring a test or a temptation. Remember, verse 13 says, when you're being tempted, you do not get to say, well, it's God that's tempting me. Don't say that. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. What is it saying there? He's saying, listen, God may allow you to go through a trial, but God isn't bringing that on you. God isn't adding this temptation of sin. God isn't sitting there going like, oh, you better look at this porn site. No, no, no. He's allowing you to be on a website that you chose to go to because that's your free will to choose that. He's not making you go there. He's saying, hey, I'm gonna allow you to either give into this temptation or not. When you're sitting there going, God put, this, God put this stupid person at my workplace to make me so angry so I have nothing left to do but cuss them out and hate their guts. No, 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 no. God didn't put that person there 
and make them stupid to make you tempted to be angry. You're just naturally angry because you're a sinner and they're probably naturally stupid because they're a sinner too. Don't blame God for these things. He says, uh, temptation, the next verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. See, so what you got to understand is God's saying here is he's saying, hey, there, there is a path that Christians seem to keep walking down and then they act surprised when they get to the end of it and it's destruction. When you've destroyed relationships, you've destroyed your marriage, you've destroyed your health, you've destroyed your finances. It's because you kept taking baby steps away from God's best. Temptation came and instead of rejecting temptation, you gave in to temptation and you told yourself, well, it's just a little thing. Look at verse 15 again. These desires give birth to sinful actions. The actions are, if they're allowed to grow, they give birth to death, they bring death. It's this progression. Second John 1, 8 says, watch out that you do not lose what we've worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. Don't lose what you, we've worked so hard to achieve. Why? Because small choices have big consequences. Small choices have big consequences. Some of you are making some poor choices right now and you're saying it's not a big deal, it's a small thing. It's a small thing. Benjamin Franklin said it this way, it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one bad one to lose it. Some of you are making some very bad decisions but you're saying, well, they're just small things so it's not a big deal. One more drink, right? It's just one more drink. Just one more drink. Oh, I'm just going to flirt with this person at work. I'm married, but I'm not, and so I'm not going to do anything, but I'm just going to flirt. It's just flirting. It's just fill in the blank. When you find yourself saying, oh, it's just, it's no big deal. It hasn't hurt me yet. You're making small decisions that will have big consequences. Now, here's the positive end. That works the other direction too. Small choices in the right direction will lead to big results as well. You know, it's just reading your Bible, small thing. You start by reading your Bible and it begins to put God's word in your heart from the very beginning of the day. Now you have something healthy to, to ruminate on, to think on, to echo in your mind. They say like, if you just make your bed, it's a small thing, make your bed. You're like, what, what could that do? It does something psychologically to reset you to go, man, I've already accomplished something. I haven't even had in my shower yet. Like I've made my bed. I'm already a winner. Like sweet. Monday may suck, but I've already got something done. Like just make your bed. Just do some small things and watch how they have big impacts. It works in the, it works in the positive and it works in the negative. That's okay. She's with me. I like it. We're, we're cheering it on. We're good. The next verse 16 says this. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift. If something's good and perfect, that's a gift coming down to us from our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. That's huge. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. Jesus Christ is the word, by the way. And we, out of all of creation, became his prized possession. Humans created in the image of God are the most prized thing in all of the universe. 
out of all the animals and all the waterfalls and all the amazing stars and planets, God said, I'm going to create human beings in my image, and that is what I'm going to prize because we're all created in the image of God, and he's called us in hopes that we will all become the children of God. Not everybody is a child of God. We're all made in the image of God, and if we'll accept Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, then we become children of God. How do I know that? Go back to verse 17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down. It's a gift. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave, he gifted his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Why? God gave us this thing. He gave us Jesus, and that, that to me says, this gift, then everything's free, right? The, a gift is free. My salvation is free. It's not. Salvation costs Jesus Christ the cross. It just costs you nothing. The gift of salvation is not free. It's just free to you. It's like us going to a restaurant and you pick up the tab no matter what I order. And I'm like, it was free. <laughs> and you're like, it wasn't free. Pastor, stop ordering steaks. It wasn't free. <laughs> Somebody's paid for it. Yeah, well, it's free to me, right? So it's free. And a lot of times we devalue things because we didn't have to pay for it. There's an old story of a guy who goes looking for uh, an antique table. He's out, he's out shopping. He goes to this store and there's this antique table in this, in this shop. And he goes, oh, hey, I see this table here. It's got a $1,200 price tag on it. He goes, hey, would you take 500 bucks for this table? And the owner goes, ah, oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. It's, nah, it's too nice of a table. He goes, well, I, I would do 700 for it. I'd do 700 for it. And the owner goes, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't take less than 1,000 for this table. Couldn't take less than 1,000. And the guy's like, yeah, I just, I, I just don't see myself paying that. And so the guy leaves, but he thinks about it for a couple of days and he comes back and he goes, hey, I, uh, I've, been, I've been thinking about that table. I'll take it for a thousand. And the owner goes, yeah, I've been thinking about that table. It's 1500 now. And he goes, well, wait, wait, it was, it was 1200 and you brought it down to a thousand. He goes, yeah, but then I started thinking about how much I like the table and how valuable it is. And so it's 1500 now. And I, I thought, you know, and I thought about that story and I was thinking about how, how we look at who we are. And I realized value is subjective until there's a payment. Until there's a price that's been paid, value is just kind of bounces around. My mom put my GI Joes out in the yard sale when I was a kid for like 25 cents. I was like, they should be at least $20 a piece. Mom, like, they're so epic and so awesome. Value is very subjective, and this is why it's hard for us to get through the world because we have valued ourselves differently. Some days you feel like a million bucks, woo! and some days you feel like the gum on the bottom of a dumpster, and you ride these waves. And here's the truth. You also assign value to other people. And that's not your role either. Some of you have people elevated way too high and some of you look down your nose at people and think that they're beneath you and none of that's true. 1 Peter 1, 18, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. That ransom, it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ the sinless, spotless lamb of God. 
When he says you're his prized possession in James, what he's saying is you are valuable to God. And that other people are valuable to God. And what this does is this helps regulate us. When we feel like a million bucks, we don't get to get cocky because short of Jesus Christ, we're nothing. But when Satan comes or our flesh beats us down and we say, I'm worthless, I'm garbage, I have nothing good to offer. No, we also go, no, Jesus Christ valued us so much that he died for us because we are the prized possession of God. And see, we have to find that balance. Some of you are down in the gutter and God's saying, no, no, I've elevated you to be a child of God. And some of you think you're up here. And God says, no, you're not better than other people. Without me, you're nothing. Let's move on. James 1, verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Oh, this one hurts. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Mm. See, I wrote this one down this way. Your reflex reveals your defects. What are you quick? How are you quick to respond to things? Anybody else in here have a conversation with a family member or a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, somebody that you're supposed to love <laughs> and they do something and then your immediate reaction is, Argh. and then you have to calm yourself down. There's been many a time I've been doing dishes at the sink going, <laughs> like that, that poor plate. Here I go. Okay. Why? Because there's something broken inside of me. I have a sin nature. Now, I have Jesus Christ who has sanctified me or justified me. I'm in the process of being sanctified, and every day I'm supposed to look more like Jesus and less like Josh, but sometimes the old Josh just creeps out. And I know it to be true based on what my immediate reflex is. Some of you, you're quick to anger. You're quick to frustration. Some of you, you're quick to sadness or depression. Some of you, your, your go-to is embarrassment. You're immediately like, ah. Oh. These things reveal there's something wrong. So what do we do about it? Well, the next verse says this. Human anger, verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. You have to go back. Look at, look at the beginning of verse 21. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. What is that saying? God's saying, hey, I'm putting it on you to clean stuff out before I renovate. I watched a show where this, this, these people wanted to, to add on to their house and they went and do all these things, but they were hoarders. And I mean like bad hoarders. And so their house was filled with garbage and crap, just filled. To the ceiling. It's like... They brought in, they're like, hey, we want to knock this wall down and we want to add there. And the guy's like, I can't see the wall. I can't see the wall to even get to do the work. And I see the Bible here. I see James telling the church, man, you have to be willing to get rid of all the filth. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. That's all of us. We all have, if you're here and you're like, I'm saved, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I have Jesus Christ. I know that's not true for all of you, but if you say that is, like that's the decision that you've made, 
He says, even those that have this, we still have an old nature that's corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous, truly holy. These things, the, this is, this is, this is an, an idea that we have, to, we have to be willing to go in and do a little work in the garden that is our heart. Before God grows the seeds, you got to remove the weeds. This is, this is on you because you're sitting there going, God, why, don't I, why isn't there more of you? Why, God, why isn't things better? And he's going, hey, I want to do some stuff, but you, you have to be willing to get rid of some stuff. I can't grow in a garden that's filled with all the things that you like. I can't do a work in your marriage when the marriage is all about what makes you happy. I'm not going to make you a better son or a better daughter, a better father, a better mother, a better brother, a better sister, a better boss, a better employee, until you're willing to set aside all the things that you want and say, God, I'm leaving room for whatever it is you would have for me. See, the world tells us that the more crap we can put in our garden, the more things that we like, the, more, the better it'll be. And God says it's exactly the opposite. You get rid of all the stuff that you want and all the things that you value and say, God, you put new stuff in my life. Put real growth in me. Put real life in me. Give me something that actually makes me a good person, not just what I think is good. I want, I want real friends, not the people I have, to, I have to pretend to get to be my friends. God, I want real growth, not Instagram growth that everybody has to look at through a filter before they admire me. I want something genuine. We have to be willing to, to take that next step. Look at verse 22. Don't just listen, man. This one hurts too, guys. I could preach an entire month on this set of verses. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. He uses the analogy of a mirror. Back in this day and age, mirrors were not everywhere. See, today we don't, this doesn't really resonate with us because we can see ourselves a thousand times in one day. Most of us have a hundred mirrors in our house. And there's glass everywhere, so we see our reflection all the time no matter where we're going. And you have a cell phone and you can actually get a selfie in and just look at yourself. That wasn't true back then. To have a piece of metal that was shined, that was refined and shined up so, so well that you could get your reflection, that was rare. That was valuable. There wasn't a lot of that. If you got the chance to see your reflection, it isn't something that you would take lightly. If you got a chance to see your own reflection, you would, have, you would make note like, wow, like, man, I got some things to work on. Got some zits I got to pop, you know, some hair out of place. I got I to gotta do some grooming. Like you would, it would have been very valuable for you to get to see yourself because you wouldn't have normally been able to do that. And he's saying, how dumb would it be if you get the rare look at yourself and then you're like, ah, I'm perfect. <laughs> he's like, you, you missed an opportunity to, be, to take care of some things. And he goes, God's word is a mirror. It reflects back to you the things that you need to work on. The more I look at Jesus and the more he, he, he shows me who I am, the more I see, ah, I got a few things out of place. I should probably work on that. 
You know what you and I tend to do? Ah, I just won't look at that anymore. I'm perfect. And I know none of us think that we're truly perfect, but we act that way when we close the Bible and we push God off. See, coming to church is not the same thing as doing what God tells you to do. Now, yes, God tells us to go to church and he tells us to be part of a community that will help us grow. But sitting there in that seat today, hearing something that God would have for you, and I imagine the Holy Spirit's probably already poked you a little bit on some things where you're like, okay, I should work on that. And walking out of here and not, not making any changes at all, what good did it do you? You checked a box that said you went to church today? Nobody's keeping score. The fact that you're here today doesn't make God love you more or less. The value of going to church is that you get a chance to look at yourself in the mirror and say, man, there's some other people just like me and we all need to take another step. We all have a step in this journey to look more like Christ. Nobody here looks exactly like Jesus Christ. I hope that didn't hurt your feelings. You are not yet perfect. And how you treat people and how you think and how you respond and how you spend your time. And so if you're not perfect, then you have a step to take. But if you're not willing to take that step, man, how foolish is that? The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourself. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If, you have, if not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Say, God, where could I be better today? I want to be a better person. I want to be more of the man or the woman that you've created me to be. The husband, the father, the son, the brother, the sister, the, the teacher, the friend. I want to be more of the person that you've called me to be. Show me where I can do that. See, he's, say, he's making a point here. I wrote it this way. Having the answers isn't the same thing as passing the test. The answers are here. The application to my life is where I tend to struggle. Verse 26, if you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means caring for the orphans and the widows and their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. See, a lot of us act like, well, I just, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to do something. Now, I'm not going to camp out too much on verse 26. Verse 26 said, if you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. Wait till we get to James 3. If, you have, if you're like, man, I really want to get into controlling my tongue and my mouth, you're going to love James chapter 3. And if you don't, you're going to love James chapter 3. Just hang on. The part I want to I focus on today is this idea. He says, Hey, real religion in the sight of God, truly having a relationship with God is what he said. Isn't all the man-made stuff. Man-made religion, ugh, it's broken everything. Half the problems you see in the world are just because man has corrupted the whole point of relationship with God. We made it about rules and we have to do this and we have to do that. So we have to know relationship with God is the fact that God loved us in the middle of being a dumpster fire. He's like, I, I still love you. I will reach down and redeem you. It's not about how good you can be. It's about how great God is. And so he's saying, hey, listen, if you really understand that, 
then there should be some action. Remember, the whole point of James was to tell God's people how they could look and act like God's people. And he's saying, if God has gotten a hold of your life, there should be something different. He uses the example, you should start caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. He uses that because there was no government organizations. Nobody was helping. There was no feeding centers or, or orphanages or, or anything like that. The widows and the orphans were the outcasts of society. They were the beggars in the streets and nobody had the time for them. And James uses the lowest, lowest group of people in society. And he says, if Jesus Christ has changed your heart, then you should care for them just like Jesus would care for them. And so it's not just saying that all churches should, should be widows and orphans. He's just saying, that your heart should be broken for everybody, not just your friends, not just your family. There should be real change. If you recognize that you are broken and that your, your righteousness, the best that you could do is filthy rags compared to how great God is, then that humbles you to the place of a servant that says, whatever you would have for me, master, you tell me. That's why I love the songs that we sang, just, just praising God, all hail King Jesus. When, we, when I remind myself that I'm not serving the world or my flesh or the devil and, and pursuing all that brokenness, that I get to call myself a servant of God, then I can, I can hail the king that I have surrendered to because he really is good. Josh really is not that good. And all the things that the world tells Josh that he should do is not as valuable as the things that God has called me to. I can build my castle or I can surrender to his kingdom. And when I remember that I get to serve him, now all of a sudden I don't look down my nose at, at an orphan or a homeless person or somebody who struggles or somebody who has less than me. I don't look down on them. I think, man, God, thank you for allowing me to serve them the way you would have served them. Because Jesus would have sat down with them. Jesus would have done things to heal them or to bless them or to have conversations with them. I don't get to go, I'm so good now. I get to go, God, you're so good. How can I help other people see you? And my life has changed. I'll put it this way. A life that is really surrendered is a life that looks really different. If you had a life-changing experience, it should change you. There's an, there an article about a guy who, who went parachuting. He jumped off of something. It wasn't out of a plane, but it's like off a cliff or off something. And his parachute didn't open. And he somehow survived. And they're like, oh, this is amazing. And they talk to him, they're like, man, how, how crazy is this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's nuts. And they're like, well, are you gonna stop? You know, doing this? he goes, no, no, I'm not gonna let it change me. So I'm not gonna let it change me. And I was like, bro, you should let it change you. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this, it should change something. Like you lived through that. I would at least start checking my parachute more. You know, it should change something. When people tell me like, I've had kids, but it hasn't changed me then you're either a liar or you're a really bad parent because I don't know how you could have kids and it not change you. Like there, when a life-changing event happens, you should be different from that point on. Some of you are claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ and you look no different today than you did the, before that. Like how is that possible? How is it that the Son of God has taken up residence in your life and there's nothing inside of you telling you that you've got more steps to take? The Bible says that if you're truly surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Trust me, it doesn't mean you're perfect. Well, far from it. But it doesn't mean there's something different pulling you to be more like Christ and less like yourself. And if that's not true of you, 
then there may be a chance that what you're calling your salvation isn't, isn't really what, what you think it is. You haven't truly taken the step. You like yourself some God. You pray. You, heck, you're here at church, right? But going to church or praying or even reading your Bible isn't the same thing as surrendering to Jesus Christ being the Lord of your life. Colossians 3.12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. This is describing somebody whose life is surrendered to God. Am I describing you? Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus modeled for us what servanthood looks like, what being a slave looks like. He left heaven and came and served humanity, even though he's the God of humanity. He washed his disciples' feet, even though he was their master. He showed humility and service. And then he says, if I'm really your master, then you would, should be at least willing to do what I've done, if not even more. And I have to check myself. Am I really there? Am I, am I where I need to be? Am I willing to take steps to look more like that? Or am I kind of some of the people that James was writing to that I'm just pretending? His goal was to help the people of God know what it means to look and act like the people of God. Our problem is we have so much input coming from the world, we forget. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to stand and I want to pray over you. Today, something is true in your life and I don't know what is true. Uh, you, have to, you have to wrestle through what the Holy Spirit's telling you. You're either a servant of God or you're a servant of yourself. You either have him at the forefront of your life or you actually have yourself. And some of you are playing this unstable ground where you've got a foot in both camps. You do the church thing, you talk the game, but truthfully, you're divided. You're hoping that God will be okay with you one day because you weren't really a bad person, but that's not the same thing as being surrendered to him. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And I'm gonna ask you just to have a, a, a quiet conversation between you and the Lord. I'm gonna pray out loud. I'm gonna ask you to pray quietly right where you're at. Would you ask God to show you what it is he would have for you to do today? To expose in your life an area where you haven't been surrendered to him, to maybe reveal to you where you're unstable, where your, your heart isn't, in line with his his plan for you maybe there's a a place where you have been you've been guilty of looking down on others or you've put yourself too low maybe today god's trying to remind you of the value that you have to him maybe today what you're what you're missing out on is the fact that god's got more for you to do and you you've kind of given up hope that there is more he says my plan is better for you maybe today what some of you are feeling is the fact that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So as I pray out loud, would you just be honest enough to say, God, I need you. 
If you've never truly invited Jesus Christ to be in the driver's seat of your life, you've never asked him to call the shots, then would you just simply today, right now, say, God, forgive me. I need you more than I need myself. I need a different God of my life. You, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Forgive me. You be in control. It doesn't have to be those exact words, but it has to be that kind of heart. Would you surrender today? Would you invite Jesus Christ in? Would you start your relationship by becoming a true believer, one who has surrendered to him? And while there's people praying throughout this room to invite Jesus in, some of you, you would say, I've already done that. But the honest truth is you don't look like the one who has done that. It hasn't changed you like it should have. You haven't really let the, the, the actions reflect who it is that's supposed to be in control. But today, today, right where you're standing, you're going to commit to God today. I want to be more like Jesus and less like me. Today, God, I give you permission to rock my world, to give me some things, some steps to take this week. Give me some areas to improve. Show me how to be more like Jesus. If you pray that right where you're standing, I know God will open up his path for you. He will give you some direction that you will need to take. Now, it's between you and him if you'll actually take that step, but I'm gonna pray out loud for you. Would you do the same thing as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we lift you up. You are so faithful to us and so good to us. You've given us a plan and a way forward if we'll just accept you, if we'll just invite you in. Lord, thank you for who you are and all that you've given us. Help us, Lord God, to know you better. Help us, Lord God, to lean into your word and to see what it is, what it means to be a Christ follower, a slave, a servant of God, what it looks like to find real stability in trusting you. God, I know I'm guilty of it, as many of the people in this room are. We've been unstable in our, in our decision-making. We've We've said one thing, but then we've done another. God, there's times where we pretend that we're all sold out, but then we secretly become selfish. And Lord, we lay that at your feet. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for your help in our relationships and in our workplaces, in our schools and in our families, God. Everything we touch needs you. So God, today we ask, would you help us look more like Jesus and less like ourselves? God, I pray that there's nobody that walked into this room that would leave here the same way. God, I pray that all of us would walk out of here being changed by you and in some small way looking more like Jesus than how we walked in. Help us, Lord God. Give us some joy this week as we represent you. Give us some hope and give us some courage, Lord God, as, as we try to proclaim Jesus, as we try to live a life that points to you and has less of us and more of you. God, help us encourage your church, build us up, use us to encourage one another. God, give us a week this week that says that there is hope here on Cape Cod, that there is hope in a savior and that God, that there is a way forward for everybody that comes across our path. Let us be that kind of light to them. God, we pray this, we believe this, we ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.